Welcome to Things I Never Said in Therapy. I'm Jasmine. I'm Vanessa. And we're a little sleepy tired today. <laughs> <laughs> because we're a little sleepy tired, um, we'll do our check-ins. Uh, I'll go first. Um, I had a good week. I think I did accomplish the goals that I wanted to do. I think I was on my phone a little more than I really wanted, but at the same time, I did go on a nature walk and, um, I had a little bit more focus time and I'll go low. Uh, what was my low? <laughs> uh, my low was I could not sleep for the life of me on Thursday night before work. And so I had to do a lot of editing for my job and I went late until night, didn't finish until like one thirty. But I was also kind of like delayed in finishing the work because I had to re-record like two sentences, very short, quick things, because for some reason when I read it the first time, I mixed up some words. And so I had to re-record, but in my recording space, my boyfriend was already asleep and he was snoring. He was knocked out. And I felt bad because, as I said before, he's going through some like physical issues and because he's in so much pain, it's hard for him to fall asleep and stay asleep. And I was like, I don't want to be the person to wake him up right now. So I just kind of like kept waiting and waiting until he came to himself. And he's like, well, you're still editing. And I was like, shh, don't make any noise. <laughs> I need to record these two sentences and then you can go back to sleep. And he was like, I'll just go downstairs. I was like, stop, don't move. <laughs> no movement, just silence. Um, and so then when I was finally done and I finished everything, I like w went to lay down and go to sleep and I couldn't sleep because normally I'm asleep by the time he's already snoring and I can just fall asleep. And I think because like he was so exhausted and his body had finally like succumbed to going to bed when normally like, it's like, uh, let's just stay up and wither in pain. The, today it was like, oh, I'm so tired. I am going to just... He, nothing would have woken him up. Mm -hmm. And so he was snoring a little bit louder than he normally does because he was in like a deep, deep sleep and I couldn't fall asleep because of it. And so every time like I would get comfortable, he would like it louder. And so I just, then I started getting a headache and I'm sure like him, my staring at a computer for hours on end, plus being exhausted from the week, plus his snoring, I think was the reason for the headache. Because I'm not just trying to put it all on his snoring because that's mean. So I went downstairs to go fall asleep. And uh, just as I was falling asleep, he comes downstairs and he's like, Where, where'd you go? <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, not really getting a good night, night's sleep on Thursday. And like just the stress of trying to get all of my work done on time. And I know that it's my fault because I procrastinated until Thursday to get my work done. But it's still like... It bled into my other full-time job and being tired there. And yeah, so that was my low. And my high was going to see local natives at Fingerprints in Long Beach, which is a super small record shop. And we got our record signed and a poster signed. And they're just amazing. And it was, a they only played like nine songs. So it was like a 40-minute show. Mm -hmm. So we got there at 5. They played at like 5.30. And we got home by 8 o'clock. I was like, that's how every concert should be. Yeah. That is great. Whereas other concerts start <laughs> yeah. at 8. Because mm -hmm. then I got to go to sleep. I got rest. And and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so old. 
This is 28. Me being like, all concerts should start at five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they should. They should. So that was my highs and lows. Vanessa? Well, I I think I had a pretty good week too. Um, work wasn't too annoying. Everything was going well. Um, I would come home all the time to the house clean because Mario would, he's just been doing it. I think he's so bored from not working. So that's been great in our favor. And yeah, everything's good. I've been hanging out with my mom and my sister. And uh, I think I'll start with my low. I don't, I'm not really sure what my real low was. Um, That's great progress. <laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't really have any. Well, okay. I guess my low came literally yesterday as I was driving here. My check engine light turned on on my Jeep and, and we had just had it checked and supposedly what was the problem was replaced and then it suddenly turned on. So that, that was my low. And it's the worst when it's like right after you already fixed it. Yeah. Because now I don't know what the problem is. And now it, it's the weekend. Like there's no, opportunity for me to get it fixed and I don't know how serious the problem is so I either have to borrow a different car on Monday when I have to go to work or I have to find a place that's open on the weekend and they might still even tell me we're not going to get to it for a few days you have to leave it Mm -hmm. so I don't know what's going to happen and my high is well it was kind of funny I I went to the doctors for a check-in and everything was great but I was originally going thinking I was getting a, a, a certain procedure done. And I'd been nervous about this, I want to say, for a good month now. And I was finally going in for it, uh, not mentally prepared at all, just expecting the worst. And then I get there and they're like, yeah, you don't, this is not for you. This procedure shouldn't even be getting done on you unless we have like a a critical reason to like check this. So I didn't even need to get that done, which I didn't. So that was great. And it was so funny because they were asking me, did you schedule this? And I was like, why would I schedule something that I have no knowledge of? And I, I don't know. I, I wasn't upset or anything. I was just like, I absolutely did not. I assume all this comes from the doctor. And she said, no, I, yeah, we're not doing that. So, uh, yeah, that was my high. And then I went to get breakfast after. So. Mm. And then I went to the beach and yeah, so it was, so that was good. Yeah. Sounds like just an overall great day Mm -hmm. besides the check engine light. But yeah, everything else was great. It was just kind of like a little blip, but Mm. we'll see. We'll see how it goes today. Yeah. And what about for your goal for last week? Oh, I definitely did write a lot more. I didn't write every single day, but I wrote way more than the week prior. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to say I wrote at least 80% more than That's a good percentage. Yeah. So it was definitely nice. And I also read more than I thought. And yeah, so I definitely feel good in that and I want to continue it. So it was, it was a good week. Yeah. That's amazing. We love a good week. Mm-hmm. We just want more of those. Yeah. I just don't know why it's so, it, it's so much easier to focus on 
the bad weeks that we have, that it feels like there's so many more than there are good weeks. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I feel like actually most weeks are neutral. And because they're neutral, it doesn't feel good. It just feels that was another week. But I don't know. I feel like that that goes in the good side, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's positive if it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Or is it still neutral? See, I don't know. I don't know where it lands. I think it's a good balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you need the highs and lows. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Because otherwise, like, I've met people who have not had very many lows in their life. And sometimes they're, like, okay people. But other times, it's like they're disconnected from, I guess, disconnected from my reality mm-hmm. is the real term. Because I can say, like, disconnected from reality, but it's like, well, that's my reality. To them, mm-hmm. yeah, they they can live in that space because they never had to deal with something bad. But I just, I guess I just don't relate to people <laughs> who yeah. have never, like, had to go through any sort of struggle yeah. Or just any in general, like low point. I honestly never wanted to have lows. And, and then obviously like life would just be like, <laughs> well, too bad. Um, but I didn't know I still kind of felt like that until I heard this quote and it was like a group setting and each person was like taking turns talking. And this guy was talking about a conversation he'd had with his therapist and he was telling his therapist, I always want to be at a high. Like, I just, I don't know why everything has to like go up and down and and things like that. And she gave him the imagery of, well, think of your life on a heart monitor and the heart monitor goes like up and down and up and down. And the only time it flatlines is when you die. So if you look at the flatline, if you want your life to always just be consistent like that flatline, it's like, what are you really, are you really living? Because Mm -hmm. it's always going to be the same. But whereas you have the highs and lows that goes up and down, then your life might be more lived. Yeah. And when he was telling the group, everyone in the group was like, oh my God. That is a great, that is so great for someone to say. It's such a great metaphor too. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, our, our hearts, our heart monitors, they're not one straight line. And if mm-hmm. it is, then you're dead. So, yeah. and that's the same thing. Like if you're always on a high, then at that point, it's kind of like when you're taking drugs. If you always are like up in your dopamine levels, mm-hmm. then you're going to get used to that set of dopamine levels and then you're going to need more. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to need more. And I think that's also kind of like what happens with rich people is that they get so much money and they have everything that they want that they now no longer, like they're constantly searching for more and more and more. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know, I think we need to be humbled a little bit yeah. here and there to remind us that we do have it good where we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. So our topic this week, this is part three of being present. And today's topic is not waiting for the future. So a lot of the time with being present, it's difficult because we're living with the anxiety of what the future may hold. 
we don't need to like wait for that to happen. We have to kind of like make it happen. Mm -hmm. That's our lives. And right now I'm in the point in my life where like, I do know that I'm making things happen. I know that I'm striving for a good future and I'm making my future happen. But sometimes I feel like I'm living in the future and doing things only for my future self and not for the happiness of my present self. Mm -hmm. It's like, at what point am I going to stop striving for a better future and start striving for a better now? So I don't know why that's so difficult for me. I think because you get a lot of anxiety. I just have so much. <laughs> it's genetic. My dad has a lot of anxiety. Yeah. My mom used to not, and now she does. Yeah. It's I also think it's an older thing because, or getting older, because like you said, your mom never did. And... I assume she's gotten it as she's gotten older because my dad also never, he didn't even believe in anxiety. So say my mom didn't either. Yeah. So like <laughs> if my, if I, I didn't even know the term anxiety until I just like went to th like pretty much until I got to college and, and like I would hear people talk about it. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Because my, my parents were so against like giving anything a term that you can't overcome so like my my dad never had anxiety and now that's all he has yeah it's all he has my mom used to tell me when i would have like panic attacks or just like maybe not a panic attack but like being on the verge of a panic attack or just feeling overwhelmed my mom would just say if you pray god will take it from you and she's like you just need to pray more and i would tell her like i I am praying. Mm -hmm. I don't want this. Mm -hmm. And I wish God would take it away from me. And then I remember when she got started getting anxiety, it started with her having the, this anxiety while driving. Mm -hmm. And she would start to have a panic attack. And she was like, she finally came to me and she's like, I'm so sorry for telling you to just pray it away. Mm -hmm. Because now I know that's not how it works. And I was like, mm -hmm. I told you. Yeah. <laughs> I told you. But it just takes, you know, somebody having that experience to finally see from your side. And she had never lived with anxiety, which fucking good for her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so lucky to only have experienced it. I mean, it sucks now that she's experienced it so late in her life. I wish she never had to experience anxiety. But I mean, it took her to like having that moment to understand where I was coming from, mm -hmm. that you can't help the overwhelming, the overwhelmingness that overcomes you in that moment. Yeah. Like you are just there to the whims of whatever your body is doing and like you can't stop it. And luckily I've like kind of gotten past a lot of my panic attacks and it's gotten a lot better. I don't think I've had one in like two or three years now, which I'm very grateful for. But yeah, it's just my mom, just pray it away and it'll yeah. go away. I'm like, I wish it would. I am praying, mom. <laughs> my mom tells me I need to just be in control. She says, you just need to tell yourself you're not going to feel this. I mean, what What do you mean you can't? Mm -hmm. Like, just handle it. Oh, my gosh. And I'm like, okay. When somebody with a depression, just be happy. Yeah. That is, that is the exact style she uses where my sister is the one that's been the most vocal of like struggles. And my mom will always just say, I don't, 
just what do you have to be sad about? You have everything, mm-hmm. everything and this and that. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, don't you think that's why people don't understand depression? Because you yourself know I have everything. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And you can't get yourself out of that funk. That yeah. is what is difficult about it. And that's what's scary about it because you can't get yourself out. Yeah. So that's why it's depressing. Exactly. Yeah. And it's all about the way the chemicals in your brain and the way that the levels that they're at. Mm -hmm. I can't change that. And so, of course, I'm going to keep dwelling on the bad things and be in a depressive state because my brain physically cannot help me get out of it. It doesn't have the means or the tools to do it. And so, yeah, I mean, and then also your parents have been arguing for a long time. Do they not think that that affects your siblings in the way that they're growing up? Yeah. If I I saw my parents arguing every single day like that, I'd be like, you wonder why I'm not feeling great? (laughs) Yeah. they, And I think my parents have noticed a lot of things because they have supposedly tried to keep us separate from things. And I, I've heard them say like to their siblings or to their friends, Oh, you know, we need to really figure the situation out because we know the kids have to be tired about it. You know, it's, it's constant. It's, and I think they're really starting to question, have we caused them some type of like trauma? Have we, you know, something? And all I'm thinking is three years later, you're thinking this now. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that they're addressing it at least is a good thing because there's a lot of times where people who have caused harm to others, whether they're like parents who think that they did the right thing and they're constantly going to like feel that way, they will never address that they caused harm to their children. So it's good that they're at least analyzing it because in the moment, I do believe it's probably very difficult to realize the harm that you're creating. But if you have the growth to be able to like at least come back and be like, I'm sorry, that can help heal a lot of people, maybe help your relationship with your family, like heal a little bit if that's a conversation that they are having. I mean, just acknowledging Um, it is a huge, huge thing. They acknowledge it, but I think to themselves inwardly and like I said, maybe occasionally to like a sibling here and there. It's... It's been acknowledged very, I think literally twice by them separately. And it's almost like by the time it comes, it feels a little too little too late. Um, Mm -hmm. they, because even if they're acknowledging it after the fact, they get still so caught up in arguing with each other in, in, trying to get the other to admit it this is all your fault you were wrong yeah that they don't it's like they're a tornado and after they've passed and they turn around they're like oh look at all the mess we did sorry it's like it's too little too late yeah you can't repair that yeah and especially if like they're not coming into the situation like oh okay we caused harm we were this tornado and now we made a mess let's help clean it up it's like oops we made a mess sorry Mm-hmm. Figure it out. And it's like, I don't want to figure it out. You should have figured it out. Mm-hmm. Why am I stuck with the mess that you made? Analogies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's difficult when 
things like anxiety are in our heads are things like what is going through on with your parents is going on and causing anxiety because it's like, okay, well, if I get home, are they going to be arguing? If I get home, are they going to be on good terms or are they not? And that can cause anxiety too. make it harder to live in the moment because you're worried about the next one. And yeah, I feel like that's just something I always struggle with. Like I can be having a good time with somebody and then constantly worried about the next moment that we're going to have. Or like if I haven't seen somebody for a long time and we didn't leave off on greatest terms, like we're not terrible to each other, but we had like one awkward conversation right mm-hmm. before we didn't see each other for a while. Then I'm constantly thinking like, okay, what is this going to look like now? It's hard to live just in the present moment. And not plan for the future because you almost kind of have to because there's a lot of things that people will try and give you advice on that is supposed to help out future you. Like the saying, oh, you need to save for a rainy day. Mm -hmm. Because if you're, if technically we just want to live in the present, we shouldn't worry about tomorrow's finances. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, we don't do that because we do have to think about our future selves. Mm -hmm. And the thing is all the future bills don't stop because, oh, it's the present, you know, and if they don't have enough money for next month's bill, why we'll just wait until Mm -hmm. they do. So I think it's a lot harder to not try and plan and think about the future than it is to dwell like on the past. Yeah. Like, I think it's easier to, as you're living in the present and moving forward, be like, okay, I don't need to bring back things from the past or I don't need to still like dwell on those. Like we, I, you learn a lot from them and they've helped shape who you are now, but I think it's a lot easier to say, okay, I can't dwell on the past, but I can't not think about the future and plan for it. Yeah. I think that's kind of why, like, I, I do have like depressive states where I'm more thinking about like, why didn't I do something different in my past? so that my future could look better now. And I find myself thinking that a lot just for like random things. I am very happy with where I am in my career, in like my life. But sometimes I think, what if I, instead of going to school for theater, I had done this or this or this, then my life would have looked like this and I would have been in a better financial state. And That's, you know, when you're in the moment as a young person, I did think like, oh shit, why am I going to school for theater? (laughs) What am I doing with my life right now? Like, why is this the choice I made for my future self? And so like, I know that I had those thoughts while I was going through the moment then, but I still went through with it. And so it's like not a huge regret that I went to school for theater because like I said, I'm very happy with where I am. But I do sometimes get into those moments where I'm like, why did I make this decision? And why didn't I take the other path? Because that wasn't, my plan was not to get into, my plan was to go into communications and maybe do like broadcast or um, even go into like news anchoring or something like that. But instead I was like, nope, I'm going to theater. And it makes me wonder like, why did I make that change? And why didn't I just stick it through with either communications, our business, 
like my other family members did. And now they're all working in like aerospace and making good money. Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to make the money that they make because theater just doesn't make that money unless you get like big dog style. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, okay, well, I didn't take the right credentials for my theater to get me to that, that state. I didn't like, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. getting into those depressive states. I'm not trying to get myself into one right now. I'm just mentioning Mm -hmm. (laughs) the way that I can dwell in the past and it ruined my present because I'm like, I would have been in such a better place right now if I had just done blah, blah, blah. And then the same thing for the future. I think if I don't do this, this, and this right now, then in the future, I'm going to be struggling. Or if I don't um, save this much money, then by this date, I'm going to regret it. Or if I don't start working out now, then my future self is going to still be unhealthy. The workout one is so (laughs) true. And I keep seeing all these videos that like, so the workout one is like so difficult for me because I... I love food. I love food. And the the thing is you can work out and love food. And that's why personally, I always say like, I work out harder so I can eat more. (laughs) I don't work out so I don't eat. Like, I'm not going to change... The amount of food I eat, I'm just mm-hmm. going to change how hard I work <laughs> just so I can maintain where I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not even like the goal isn't even to lose weight for me. The goal is so that I can eat more. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like a thing. So that's the thing that goes on in my mind is I need um, I'm still not doing what I need to now. So I'm still going to be terrible in the future. Just a weird mindset. And it's like, why don't I just do it now and be happy now? And then in the, eventually my future self will thank me. I don't know. I think it's to create those highs and lows. To create those highs and lows. Like your future self has to then look back at this present self and be like, you see, if I would have done this and this, then, but who knows where that future self is going to be at because right now you could be building all the tools to get to there and then future self would just be like, oh, I know how to execute all of this now and I can do it no problem. Um, I don't dwell as much on the past. I dwell a lot on a different future I could have had because obviously you, you still kind of see a path like paved for the future with what we're currently doing now. Uh, like right now, my future, I see it's obviously Mario and I in a house, um, probably starting a family and just kind of living our life like that. The future I dwell on is one that if I had gone to school for what I really was passionate about, I'm not saying if I would have gone into a career that would have made me a lot more money. Um, it, I definitely would have made more than I'm making now. But I also would have had more stability. I would have had a more set schedule of like when I would be on vacations where like I don't have to worry about taking that time. It would kind of just be there. And I dwell on that my future isn't really going to be filled with like solo adventure trips or going to Ireland like when I wanted to and I also for a while wanted to live 
in different countries. Like I wanted to live in Mexico with my family for maybe months, maybe a year being like a math tutor. Yeah. I'm, you want to be like a nomad. Yeah. Not a math tutor, an English like tutor. Yeah. Like, you know, speaking English. <laughs> yeah. Like I could, so, and the thing was, I wasn't going to be worried about making a lot of money because in Mexico, you don't need a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was just going to look at it as like, I'm with my family. This is just a means. And I, I don't like to think about it for too long because I don't want my present to start be- to become something that I like regret. Yeah. And, but I, I do, I do like sometimes when I'm in a really, really, it's like all, everything is working against me and everything is working to really make me sad in those like really, really low moments, I will have like thoughts of, I really, if I like had the chance, I would change my life and mm-hmm. like, and like give up everything I have to, to, to have like had that future. And, and by you say have that future, but it sounds to me like to have that present, you, I feel like you, you are less worried about the future and you're more worried about what past your used decisions made to get you to where you are now to get you to this reality well i really like where i am now because i never thought i would really go out and do it in my 20s i still kind of wanted to establish more and and yeah maybe i wanted to live a nomad life but i didn't want to live it like out of a car or out of a backpack. Like I did want to be a little cushiony. Mm-hmm. So I knew I would still like kind of stick around and save up. So I don't, it's not really my present that I would want to change because I don't, I don't want to and I don't want to change my future. I just think it's when I get really, like I said, like where everything's working against me, where like maybe I've constantly been arguing with Mario. I've been arguing with my siblings. My parents are going at it. And I like everything is just the universe is like, this is going to be a shitty time for you right now is when I'll think about that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's honestly just a form of like escape. Yeah. Where obviously if like, a black hole opened and said, you can come into here then and live that. I would take it because it's just a form of escape. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I really want to change my life and not meet the people that I have. I think it's just a form of escape, but it leads me to get stuck in this loop of like, is this really what I'm thinking like I want or am I just trying to escape things? Mm-hmm. And which, yeah, so Sagittarius of you. Yeah. <laughs> Just wanting to travel and be free. But yeah, I feel like that's something that you have always kind of talked about. Like, oh, I wish I could do this. And if you're saying it's something that you want to do in the future, I think you can. I I feel like there can be like a happy medium, like there isn't all of life. And maybe it's not solo. Maybe it's with Mario or yeah. maybe it is solo because Mario's working at, you know, long hours and can't go and he trusts you enough to like be on your own then you know i think these are all things that can like actually happen and can make sense for your life still so yeah but i 
it makes sense that it, it shows up in your mind during times of hardship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because all the other times is more like, if I think about it, I will think about it in the future in the sense of, oh, it's going to be Mario and I are like maybe 10 years down the line with our kids. Like we would go and do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not really a want of like, I want to be there by myself. Yeah. And yeah, so it only really shows up in times of hardships. Like what I picture is like whoever is like holding the dangle of like, do you want to change your stuff? Like this is, that's like what I picture. And my subconscious is always like reaching for it, like just trying to grab it, but it keeps like, like swaying back Mm -hmm. and forth. Yeah. It's interesting the way that our mind create forms of escape for us when we're struggling because yours creates like a a new reality that are an alternate reality that could be mm-hmm. and i feel like for mine when i'm struggling a lot it doesn't create a reality instead it makes me think about my life choices and just get stuck in it. Like I don't have like a fun <laughs> escape one. I have a now dwell in your self pity. Like currentness. <laughs> yeah. But I, I found as I've gotten older, I've been able to like bring myself out of it a little bit sooner. Like that pit of despair that I like put myself in. And I used to get quiet for a long time, like days on end. I would just like not really speak or like bring anything up to anyone. But now I've, found like ways to express it sooner out loud the way I'm feeling and I kind of get really cathartic about it so I'll like still not like bring it up to anybody but I'll like say the things out loud that either I wish I had said or that um I've been thinking in my head a lot about myself and it kind of makes it because I'm saying out loud it makes it sound like really dumb and I have a cathartic experience of like just an outpouring of all of my emotions, seeing me say it to myself, having that reaction like of what that really sounds like out loud and to me, then I'm like, why am I being so mean to myself? Mm-hmm. And once it's out there in the universe, it's easier for me to let it dissipate. Mm-hmm. And then it allows me to also go to the root. Like, why am I saying all of this about me? Why am I being mean to myself? Yeah. And then usually I like go to bed because I'm so tired. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, when I say cathartic, I mean like energy levels are high and then they're gone as soon as it's out. And I guess I sleep, you know what? Now I'm talking it through. Talking it through, I sleep away my problems. (laughs) That's what I do. There's an issue. I find myself actually getting really sleepy which is weird. Like if me and Mark Mark are arguing about something, I'll be like, I need to take a nap. You know, Mario is like that. And I, like Mario and I will, let's say, argue that night or we've been arguing that whole evening and I'm still upset about things and we'll go to sleep. And the next day he's just like, Hey, and I'm just like, I'm still upset. How are you? We didn't resolve anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, but it's a new day. Like we went to bed. I don't did, think that. Did sleeping fix it? No, it doesn't fix it. So 
me and him are different in that way. Yeah. Mine is more like we've been say we've been talking real deep talk because Mark and I, when we argue, it's not like screaming matches and Mm -hmm. calling each other names. It's getting really deep, figuring out why somebody said the things that they said and like me trying to get my point across, him trying to get his point across. Very, I don't know, we kind of sound like we're in therapy when we talk. <laughs> and like there's a mediator, but I'm both the mediator and the person talking. <laughs> but you guys have gone to... Couple- I haven't, no. Oh, okay. We've never gone, gone to couples therapy. Uh, he goes to therapy and he talks to her about me. But he also just, he needed to go for just childhood things mm-hmm. that he'd been through and... The, his family trauma and also just his own trauma with himself. And we don't got to get into any of that because mm-hmm. that's his own thing. Yeah. But yeah, I, we did have like a really, really bad argument one time that kind of led to him deciding that he was going to start going to therapy. It was like either I, it was kind of not an ultimatum, but I was like, you need to fix yourself before like, anything else like if we're gonna be together i can't be your therapist somebody else needs to be that for you mm-hmm. and i shouldn't be the one trying to fix you you have to fix yourself so that's kind of like a lot of things led to him going to it but and i think he always needed to but i think that argument that we had where i was like i can't fix you mm-hmm. i was like that's not my job like we're partners mm-hmm. um so, yeah. So when we argue, like, it gets very therapy-ish. Mm-hmm. I keep saying that, but, like, I'm not a therapist. But I do, like, kind of mediate our own arguments. And it never gets, like, where we're calling each other names or anything. And then afterwards, I'm like, I really need to sleep, even if we haven't resolved it yet. This isn't resolved. There's still things both of us need to say. Are both still things both of us need to get each other to understand? Even if we don't agree, I need you to understand my side. I think is what I normally get out of our arguments. Like if we're really getting at it and I can tell he still, I like make him repeat it back. I'm like, tell me what I told you, Mm -hmm. but in your own words. And then if he says it and I'm like, that's not what I meant. (laughs) And I have to do it again. Mm -hmm. Like my whole thing is like to be understood and it, I feel like his whole thing is to be forgiven. And that's kind of like the way we argue. So like, even if I did something wrong, I'm like, I need you to understand why I did it. And like, I'm going to apologize to you, but I also need you to understand my side. Mm -hmm. And his is like, I just need you to forgive me. So that's usually why we talk for so long. And then I'll sleep, even if I haven't forgiven him. And I'll wake up and I'll be like, all of a sudden I have (laughs) sleep is like a superpower for me. I wake up and I have an epiphany. Mm-hmm. Oh, the thing I was saying last night about what I needed from you, that's not what I needed from you. I actually needed this and I can explain it better. So I don't know what it is about sleep, but mm-hmm. it like fucking when I, you know, what? I think it goes to, <laughs> it goes back to when I was younger, I used to study. I mean, I didn't really need to study too much, but like mm-hmm. what I would do is I would read whatever I needed to take a test on the next day and I'd read it twice. And then I'd close it and I'd go to sleep and I'd say, okay, everything that you read is going to stick in your brain. And I'd wake up and it would. So I don't know what that is, but I would do that for our like learning lines too. Mm-hmm. I would learn my lines. And as soon as I said them all out loud, once I would go to sleep and be like, okay, I'm going to wake up and the words are going to be in my brain. And I'd wake up and they would be. So it's kind of like my 
subconscious decides to continue working <laughs> mm-hmm. while I'm asleep. So after we have our arguments and our like, you know, hash out session the night before, I'll wake up and know exactly what I need from him. And also, it'll be like I finally heard him in my sleep. I finally understood his side. And I'll be like, I'll be less angry at him, but still need him to understand where I was coming from. That's like my whole thing is like, I need to be understood. I don't need to be forgiven. I just need you to know my side. Mm-hmm. What were we talking about before this? <laughs> huh, I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> oh, because you said that Mario sleeps and then is like, everything's fine. I'm like, yeah, everything's not fine. Yeah, it's, well, not so, I think with him, it's not so much that everything's going to be, or everything is fine. I think it's more of, we like fought last night, we argued as soon as we wake up, that's not the first thing I want to do again. It's like, did we calm down in our sleep? So then we can visit it again. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it doesn't have to be like fireworks right off the bat as soon as we wake up. Yeah. And. But you want fireworks right off the bat. I, well, the thing is like, when we argue, funny enough, when I go to sleep, I will dream of nothing. My brain will be shut. It's almost like. I'm so prideful to a, a huge like flaw and where I think even like my subconscious and everything is like, I'm not even going to give the time of day to keep thinking <laughs> about this in my sleep. Like, no. So it's like everything in me is very prideful where it's like, we're not going to continue this. Like, absolutely not. And so when I wake up, I'm still as upset as the night before, or I'm already then starting again, the process of like numb and, and so earlier when you talk about like, you will like cry it out and like kick things and stuff like that. I used to do that. And my, it, it would get to a point where my family started telling me I was very emotional. I was very dramatic and sensitive. Mm. And sometimes they would say they liked that I was sensitive. Other times they would like weaponize it against me. I mean, I think when somebody says that they like that you're sensitive, it's always because it's benefit to them. Yeah. And I didn't realize how much my family did that. And I, I don't, I never believe they meant it maliciously. I just think they, really were like, we don't understand why your reaction is this like big. And it was because they just weren't trying to understand my feelings. Mm -hmm. So they would, the only thing they knew to do was like, this is so drama filled for like, it's too much. And they did it so, so much that I have like, the only thing I have left is I pretty much like become numb to so many things. And, and the thing is like, I know I'm still someone who is sensitive to things. And I know I'm someone who is really like a lot of things get to me, like, you know, like emotion wise, like I'll cry at like sad film. So it's like, I'm still sensitive to things like that. And I still feel like I try and put people before me. So it may not seem like I'm numb or cold to things, but I really am. And I've noticed it. Yeah. The way that you react to things. And, and I think it's, it's because 
I gave, I cried so much over things. And, and even when, when everything happened with my parents, I cried so much over that. And I was very blindsided and I was very hurt. And it finally got to, I, I remember I did stare at myself in the mirror one day and I told myself, I'm not going to cry in this family anymore. And I'm not going to cry over things that I really, that are like supposed to be really important to me. I can't give parts of myself like that anymore because what has it given me? Mm-hmm. And I never wanted to be like that. Mm-mm. But when I was open and trying to be accepting of everything and have people be accepting of me, I was always rejected. And I was, I would, I, it was almost like a gate would always close on me when I would try to come in. So I, it's like I, all my gates are closed and like people or, or things have tried to climb over, but they'll still get like blasted. So it's like, yeah, too high. yeah. so it's like they will come in just enough for me to feel things, but then they'll get blasted back when it's too much. And I, I can't, you don't want to get to that overwhelming feeling again. Yeah. And, and I, I really, one, I don't think I am ready to try and change that yet about myself. But it's I, hard to bring your walls down. Yeah. When you've been hurt. And I also just don't know if I can anymore because I would build like small walls sometimes, but they would get knocked down so easily because I wasn't ready to just be shut off. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I can't bring them down anymore. Because I just don't know how. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I don't think I'm like ready to do it. And it, I, when something becomes your norm, it's difficult to change. It's like you're going to have to create new habits of how you experience things or how you let people in because like that's just not how you've been doing it for the past couple years mm-hmm. or longer. But I, I have noticed like when things started going down with your parents – just the way that you reacted to, to things or the way that you spoke about things. It was like you're much more reserved or you put on this facade that it didn't affect you or that you didn't care. And a lot of time, like when things do happen, I do hear you say like, well, I don't even care about that. And like no openness to their side. And I'm not saying that you need to have an openness to other people's sides, but I think that's like a thing about being vulnerable. If you're being vulnerable, you want to like give somebody the benefit of the doubt, but it's more difficult to give someone the benefit of the doubt when your walls are up. You can only see one side of somebody if they're on another side of a wall. Mm-hmm. You, they have to be inside the wall for you to see everything. And so I've just noticed a lot that that's kind of your go-to is to either hate something or someone and not want to like see why somebody did something to you or to for a reason. They did something to me, so there's no other there's no other side. That's it. And I can understand that that's very it's easier to do that cuz then you don't have to let anybody into into your walls because they can't even get in. There's no doors. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's it's not it obviously started like everything with my parents, but I've noticed that it's bled into other things in my life. That's like how it starts. Yeah. yeah. And like, it's, it's definitely bled a lot into my relationship. Um, when Mario and I would have like those like 
deep, almost like heartbreaking conversations of like, are we going to continue this relationship? I, I knew I was very cold, but even in the moment, I was like, this is the warmest I can be is lukewarm. Mm-hmm. And I knew my words were probably very full of emotion, but my tone was very dead. Yeah. And, and I, I know like sometimes Mario would be like, it just seems like you don't care. And it's like, I probably care a lot more than it shows, Mm -hmm. but I can't tap into that anymore. And, and it's, it's also, I've considered that it could also just be like, uh, a toxic feeling of, I like that I don't have to tap into that stuff because it was way worse when I could and it would hurt more. Mm-hmm. And I don't like to numb myself, but it's like when you drink, you know, yeah. I don't, it's not good for you, but I like how it feels yeah. because the alternative is I have to really feel everything around me. And I don't have like the space for that. But why don't you have the space for that? I think because I filled it with so many other things. I filled so much of it when I was growing up trying to get my parents to understand me. And then when I got to college, trying to get them to give me some freedom. And instead I would be met with like, I was a liar. I was not going to school. I was partying, Mm -hmm. even though I would tell my friends I had a curfew and I was trying to get home for my curfew. And, (laughs) and, and, and then also, um, even when Mario and I started dating, I, I had always been told, and I know this was, this was probably her way of trying to protect me, but my mom would always tell me, you cannot fully give yourself to someone. Like you can't ever fully tell someone how you really feel about them and and be vulnerable with them because then they have too much power over you. So my mom would tell me, you have to be cold. You have to limit yourself, basically. And I had been doing that up until when I met Mario. And I always still thought, it's the guys that they they just don't want to be committed to me. Like, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to. When obviously I wasn't. But I had nobody around me to guide and say, this is not... It has like, again, it's a partnership. Like you do have to meet them halfway when I was barely, probably meeting them 10% of the way, Yeah. but still telling everyone around me, they're the problem. Yeah. And Mario was the first person that I broke all that. And I don't know, obviously now I know what, but I even still sometimes like, I don't know exactly what, cause it wasn't like a feeling inside of like something physically like opening we're saying, okay, this is like, I can change it with this person. It, it was just organic. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think our bodies know when it's the right person. Yeah. And our, and so our bodies don't make a big deal out of it. They just kind of let it flow. Mm-hmm. And Mario was the first and only person I had done that with. And I did put myself out there and I told him exactly how I felt. And I told him whatever decision you're going to make, I support it especially if you think it's the best one for you because you have to think about that. And, and things he did still really hurt me, even though we ended up together. Mm -hmm. 
so it, it's just it it's just inst- more and more of those instances with different people throughout my life people that i really let in and i felt i really put myself out there and that even if the outcome at the end of the day was good it still took so much mm-hmm. that and it filled all those spaces that i i don't have any more room and i've tried to get rid of them because most of them are in the past but I think too many things in the present are happening that are similar to that, that my body is just like, no, no, this has happened before. We know what's going to happen. So we're not, we're not going to make room for it. Yeah. And so my thing is like, so does my present drastically have to change? I think you might need to do some like, I don't know, more digging into all of the moments that led to the walls being built up. Because the only way to deconstruct them is to deconstruct what brought them there. And we had like this conversation before where we're talking about how our bodies have better memories than our brain. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of, it's really true. Like my muscle memory is so much better than my brain trying to remember something. Like if I haven't ridden a bike in years, I'm still forever going to know how to ride that bike. I once didn't remember my password and I just let my fingers do it and my fingers remember the password. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know the, what the words were. It just knew it. Mm-hmm. And so our body always has a reaction to what has hurt us. When you have a physical, when, when people are like, feel your feelings, they don't mean to like, Oh, what are you feeling? They're saying like, where is it coming from in your body? Mm-hmm. What? Feel your feelings means to focus on what like is actually going on. And so for me, whenever I'm sad, it gets like my throat gets really tight. Um, I guess I say sad. This, it's actually not sad. It's whenever my pride gets hurt, mm-hmm. my throat gets really tight. My, I feel like I can barely breathe and that I don't want to breathe because I don't want anyone to know how much my pride <laughs> has gotten hurt. And so I'll just like hold it all in in my throat and then I can't talk and I can't defend myself. And I'm like, why, where does this come from? Why can I not defend myself? And why is my body stopping me from defending myself? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I still don't know, but I mean, like there's a reason behind it. Yeah. There always is a reason why we have the bodily responses that we do. Just like whenever I'm stressed, it all goes to my shoulders and my back and my neck. I'm, I constantly, when I'm like stressed out, my shoulders go up, my like neck gets tight, but like in a different area (laughs) in like the back of my neck, Um, my shoulders constantly like moving up and down. And I like physically feel myself that way. And I have to like tell myself to go to a different position, go back to neutral. When I do, that feeling goes away. And so I have to be more in tune with my body. How am I holding myself? How am I sitting? Where are my tents? And as soon as I like kind of let go of that tension, it kind of also lets go of that feeling. Mm-hmm. And there's this thing, it's called yoga therapy or something like that, where they like stretch your body in a way where you're supposed to release trauma and apparently like it makes you cry. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard of this briefly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, why does it make you cry? Mm-hmm. Why does our body hold so much hurt? And remember it so much and how do you let go of it? So I don't know. 
I don't know if it'll help you. It has helped me. Like just somebody telling me that has helped me like kind of release some of that. And also we do the same thing. Like when we're, I'm arguing with my boyfriend, how am I sitting? Am I in a defensive position where I'm not able to receive what he's telling me? If so, how am I going to open up? Like I've, I swear, this is so fucking weird. But I, one time I found myself arguing with him, arms crossed, knees to my chest, sitting slightly away from him, not pointed at him. And I like realized while he was, you know, saying aside and I like would, didn't matter how many times or how many ways he said it, I would not listen to him. Finally decided that I would like give him a chance or like give his side a chance. Mm-hmm. And I opened, I literally had to open my body up, literally had to face him for me to understand his side. Why does my body in my subconscious need me to physically change the way I'm just sitting and standing for me to receive information, to get stuff? And so, I don't know. It's just, I don't know if that helps you or if you've done that already, but I found that yeah, focusing on my body helps. I think, I think it's really, truly... A lot of people say this and a lot of people will say it in terms of like the beauty standard. Oh, you have to treat your body well because, you know, your body's like your home. This is like your vessel and this and that. But a lot of people mean it in like they they say it for women struggling or and men like with their body image. But so I think sometimes the meaning of that gets lost. But I think it's truly because our body is our home. And, and it has to house all of that because that is what a physical home, a house does, like the building. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I had talked about this like throughout the week, but for instance, the house that I say I've grown up in because I've been there since I was five, that house has truly been like beaten with not just like everything that's been going on with my parents, but I mean, everybody's years in there, like everybody's mm-hmm. adolescent times, everyone dealing with their own mm-hmm. stuff. Like even my sister right now with her own thing, like every stage that my siblings and I, and that every person at home has had, that house has literally absorbed and you can feel it throughout mm-hmm. just like the different areas of it. Yeah. Because maybe what used to be the living room that's now the dining room that if you like are near a certain wall it it feels like what radiates is like where the tv was and like all the stuff we used to watch on there or when you go by the window that's like where the couch was and so it's like every area of the house has absorbed some type of memory of our lives and right now with everything that's gone on with my parents when one of them leaves the house and there's like a few weeks of peace or something, you can feel that it just like exhales. And it's like, okay, I, for right now, we don't need to be in like defense mode or something. And I feel like that is also what our bodies do. Because right now the house, because my dad's on vacation, right now the house feels very light. Mm-hmm. I, you, I, it, it's, it all, it's almost like if I wanted to just like, picture it I can feel the house is just like the shoulders are slouched it's just chilling and it's just like okay like this is this is my time the pants yeah (laughs) let the belly out (laughs) 
And, and I can, and as the days are like going to get near, you can feel when it's going to get tense again. Yeah. Because when my mom has left the house, that's what happens. Like same thing. And, and so I feel like that, that's also like what our body is. And, and that's why we need to let go of some of the, the hoarding that we've done in our body. Yeah. I think just like we need to purge things in our house that are no longer servicing us, we need to do that for our bodies too. What is our body holding on to that we no longer need? And sometimes it feels like it's for protection. Sometimes I feel like my body wants to keep it because it's protecting me. But at what point is that protection now a disservice? Like it's hindering. Mm -hmm. Because like just like you, I've had those moments where I don't want to let go of like that protection that I think my body is giving me, but it's hurt my relationship in other ways. Like because I'm trying not to get hurt, I can't, I can't actually fully connect. And that's a hindrance to me now. When as before, like I didn't want to fully connect because I, I wasn't ready or because I just knew down the line it was going to hurt me more. But it's like, it's not needed anymore, but I don't know how to let it go or purge it. Uh, It feels weird. I don't want to. Yeah. And I think it's also what I have that's trying to protect me. I know I don't need it in my relationship, but I I still need it in important ones like my family. Mm -hmm. And so I can't. I can't get rid of it. I can't fully purge it. And the thing is, even if when I'm out of that house, I still don't know if I can get rid of it because just because I'm leaving the house, it doesn't mean my parents are going to, you know, they've talked about that if they separate, they do not want to see each other ever again. And that's not realistic, but because they're adult children, they're not ever going to know how to like cope with seeing each other when my siblings and I have like parties or something where, or like holidays where obviously we want both of them and they're going to try and make us pick and choose. So it's like, I don't, even if I'm out of the house, I don't think I'll ever be able to get rid of that because they don't let go of it. Cause I also know they're probably constantly doing this. It's their form of protection because they've both yeah. been equally hurt. Yeah. I mean, of course what they're doing is for their protection too. Mm-hmm. I know your parents are probably a, huge topic of discussion in like your therapy sessions. But I feel like there's going to be a point where you're going to have to accept whatever sort of relationship that you have with them and still let your walls down around them. But when, so you have your walls up because of like your, the way you grew up with them and also now the way they are. But I know at the same time, like you kind of been repairing your relationship with your mom. And do you feel like that's helped bring the walls down a little bit? Well, I, I feel like my walls are very specific. They, it's very complicated because I'm, I want to have as many good memories that I can create right now and in the future, whenever. So I'm not, closed off to that and I'm not closed off to like fixing things and and they've happened like little by little 
and like listening to probably all of these and how they are now, believe it or not, I do still have a much better relationship with them now than when I was younger. So I think my walls are very specific to, they are, and not just my parents. And it's not, it's more like, I don't really have specific friends that do it either or anything, but it's more like, I still feel like I'm being hurt and, and there are things that I still haven't like fully dealt with that little by little I've found out that either like friends or my parents have like said about me. And it's just one of those where like, I, I just wouldn't, I would think that family is like that safe space where like, I don't have to worry about them talking about me or yeah. using me. Mm-hmm. And when you find out that it is, it's a huge, why? Yeah. Why was that the first thing you thought of to use? And it's truly things like that that I can't let go of. And because they're still like constant, that's pretty much what like my walls are fighting. So they're not trying to fight. And they're also not be really, really being mended by mending my relationship with them. They're just kind of like really stubborn to be there. And they're not, yeah. one, they're not budging on their own, but I'm also not pushing for them to budge. You still don't trust that even though you have a better relationship, that they won't hurt you again. Yeah, no, because they've been constant with that for 28 years. So yeah, just because you've tried to change it for a few months does not measure up at all in yeah. time. Um, something that I noticed with like my own parents is the way that they explain how their parents are not the grandparents that I have. And I find that so interesting that their relationship with their parents has like their struggles, like every child and parent. But then when there's like this weird resentment, not like real resentment, but like a weird hurt that you go through when you see your parents treat somebody else like you wanted to be treated when you were younger. And I've noticed that like for my dad, for example, seeing how nice my grandpa is to all of his grandchildren. And my dad is like, he would beat us if we stepped out of line. He's like, this is not the same man that I grew up with. And (laughs) it's so weird because I'm like, no, grandpa would never. He's like, he would. It's not the same person. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, he would definitely beat you. I was like, he would never beat me. And the thing is, that's probably very (laughs) triggering for your dad to be being told, oh, no, the memories you have are basically fake. And it's like, no, they're not. Yeah. And then like, same thing, like my grandpa will be like, I never did that. And my dad's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. And so I can like see like why you wouldn't want, like, it's almost like your parents are gaslighting you. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so all those things that you said to me in the past, like that's not real. And I don't know. I just, sometimes I wish that you could have like a real conversation with your parents about the way that they hurt you without them getting defensive. And I just don't think that that's a reality mm-hmm. because people are prideful. And two things can be true at once. It can be true that they did the best that they could to give you the life that they 
wanted to give you and thought you deserved and at the same time hurt you in the process of doing that. And, but a lot of the time we, it's hard for us as humans to see the wrong that we've done because we don't want to see ourselves in the light of a villain. Because if we do, it's like, you, you just can't be the bad person in your own story. Mm-hmm. And something that would help, I think a lot of children is if their parents had the ability to say, I'm sorry for what I did to you. And I'm never going to do that again. And I, I know that we have built a new relationship and I still want to build this. And I know that I shouldn't have done that to you. Like show some sort of regret for this, the harm that they did, but it's like they can't or they won't. And it's very rare that they do. Mm-hmm. So I can understand how on your side, like you're never going to bring those walls down because they're never going to bring theirs down either. Yeah. And, and the thing is, I, I've still always been the biggest advocate that my parents did still do much better than how their parents raised them. And they still, at the end of the day, accomplished probably what they set out to do, which was, I want to give whatever future kids I have a better life. And I don't want to be my parents. And they still ultimately did that because meeting my grandparents, the way like your grandpa so drastically different than your dad's, my grandparents are the same. Like when my parents tell me about their childhood, my grandparents are exactly the same now. So I think, I think it's in a way helped that I've always been able to help validate that. Yeah. What you guys had to go through was fucked up. But that doesn't negate that it doesn't you didn't ne- go through yeah. something fucked up too. It doesn't negate that the one area where my parents don't see is when they say, well, yeah, like my parents could never admit. And I'm like, well, you guys can't admit either that you have done some wrongs. They're like, nope, because all they can focus on. But we accomplished our goal. We were still better. Yeah. You were, but you still weren't perfect. Yeah. And nobody wanted you to be. But it's worse when you're trying to almost play off that, yeah, we were perfect in their version. Mm-hmm. And of what they wanted. Yeah. They were healing their childhood trauma by giving you a better life, not realizing that they were giving, they me were childhood giving trauma. you childhood trauma. <laughs> but to them, they're like, I didn't do the things that were done to me. Mm-hmm. And I would have been happy with that. And it's like, like, yeah, you would have been happy with that, but I'm not because it's still hurtful. You And also they were raised in a different Mm -hmm. country than you. So it's like a different expectation. And so living in America, it's like you had a different reality than they did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, I feel like a lot of the time people have children to like fix the wrongs that happened to them. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, it doesn't help your child yeah and the thing is with them thinking well if i had everything you have i would have been happy in my childhood it's because they've already lived it so you have you're able to look back on it and say oh yeah like everything you have is like by far beyond like what i did but that's because you've already lived it Mm -hmm. you didn't know then what you know now, yeah. but you're projecting 
as if you would have known all of this back then, but you, you couldn't have because you hadn't lived it. Yeah. So that's also like what they don't see. Yeah. And something that kind of just happens in every family is every family I think has like a cyclical trauma that is passed down from generation to generation, whether they mean to or not. And I don't know. It's a whole thing. But like everyone has like a cyclical trauma that like continues to be relevant and it gets lessened in each generation. But the thing is, we need to be able to break our own cycles. What am I doing in my life now to not do what happened to like them? Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that my parents didn't beat me <laughs> like both of like my dad got beat more than my mom mm -hmm. <laughs> it keeps saying beat it they got slapped around a little mm -hmm. I don't know how bad it was they tell stories and like they're funny but I'm like you're telling me childhood trauma <laughs> right now <laughs> like and I remember when he threw the thing at me I'm like that's you got beat <laughs> as a child and you're laughing about it um I'm like I'm grateful that it's gotten less and less and less as the generations have gone on, but it's like, it's still prevalent within each parent. And it's like, at some point, somebody needs to break the cycle and say like, I know this is our norm, but this isn't good for anybody. We can't continue this cycle. Even if it's not as bad as it used to be, it's still bad. And how are we going to break it? What are we going to do so that the next generation doesn't have to live with this burden. And I hate to say it, but I feel like a lot of people have children to fix what went wrong with them as a child. And you can't do that to another human being. They can't be your therapist. And that happens a lot. It's like, I, just because you didn't hurt me like your parents hurt you doesn't mean you didn't hurt me. Yeah, I just have never understood why like we're all different and the exact same way that let's say the exact same way that and any companies or whatever try to curate something specifically for you because everybody's different i don't understand why parenting isn't curated to that individual yeah. because the same thing just because what your parents did you didn't do so you were like oh see it's like i follow the same blueprint so what you're feeling like it i don't get it because i didn't do what they did it's like you cure you parented the way you would have wanted to though and i'm different from you yeah so your parenting should have matched me mm -hmm. and so I, I just don't understand why parenting can't be to each individual yeah. yeah i am so grateful for my parents i i do believe that my mom has been like the cycle breaker in her family and i just love my mom so much i don't want to cry okay i'm gonna take a deep breath okay so we go i think my mom has been the cycle breaker in her family there was just like some things you know family trauma that happens that broke that cycle. She was like, I'm not going to do all of this. I'm going to make my own path. And in doing that, she's been really good at like teaching me 
boundaries and self-worth and being able to like stand up for yourself. Oh my God, I love her so much. <laughs> okay. And so she broke the cycle for me. Mm-hmm. And she, oh my God, why is it so hard to say? And she was able to, <laughs> I don't know why I laugh so much when I'm sad. I'm not even sad. I'm very happy. I think this when, is happy cries. Because when, when you laugh, it like gives endorphins. So it's supposed to like. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so genius. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying like she broke cycles so that I wouldn't have to. And she was able to see me and not try and fix herself. Instead, she tried to like make sure that I was seen as like a full human. And her goal was always just to understand me. And so when in the beginning, okay, I'm better now. In the beginning, when I had that conversation about like, she apologized to me for the way she reacted and saying like, oh, just pray and you'll not have panic attacks. And I was like, that's not how it works, mom. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yeah, it is. And when she finally went through it and she apologized to me, it was like a breakthrough for me. It like healed something in me as like I I held on to like this idea that my mom would never fully see me. And like every day she shows me that she can. And that moment where she was like, <laughs> I don't like crying. She apologized. I was like, that was so nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just having her like say like, I'm sorry. I didn't know what you were going through and now I do it was beautiful and I just I wish like every child could go through that like it really does help yeah I'm sure it does <laughs> <laughs> just love my mom so much I'm only crying because like I'm having that anxiety of like what am I gonna do without her yeah <laughs> I hate that feeling yeah because all, they're all getting older. Ugh, why would you say that? <laughs> We're getting older, too. I don't care about that. I'm like, just like with my cat, I'm like, I want to die before you. <laughs> yeah. But I would not, also never want to put my mom through that pain. I like, we all die at the same time. I don't want to go. Oh, okay. Explosion. We do that. Yeah. Everyone goes at once. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to cry more, but I do have another revelation or not a revelation but something i want to share <laughs> okay so um, <clears throat> remember when <laughs> trying to go back to my regular voice remember when um in the beginning when i had said that i don't remember the moment that i realized that my mom was a full human being Mm -hmm. But, like, eventually you realize that your parents are humans with um, with feelings and faults. And, you know, they're just trying the best just like everyone else is. I mean, like, I make this assumption that everyone is trying their best. But, you know, who knows if yeah. people really are. But the moment I realized that my mom was, like, a full human was the moment I saw her holding her mom's hand on her deathbed. I don't want to cry. I don't want to. This is very hard. It's weird. And I saw myself in that same position. I like saw my future. It 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 was probably very real 
but it was also like you were dealing with like your grandma passing and then but probably you were also at the same time trying to like ease your mom's pain so you weren't trying to be like as it was like a lot of things that were definitely hitting you like roller coasters just like on and on in that moment seeing your mom become a mom to her mother is so weird and so sad and i just knew that eventually that was going to be me and it is both my greatest fear and also something that like i hold as a responsibility at the same time because i don't want the burden of watching my mom die but i know it's going to happen and i know like cyclically and just because i'm the o- only daughter mm-hmm. i'm probably going to be the person who takes care of my parents when they're older and that's like my burden to bear yeah that's crazy so how do I not think of that future and live in the present? <laughs> I fucking sound like a psycho right now. I can't hold <laughs> I think you just spend, you already spend like, the thing is, I think you're already doing everything because you already spend as much time as you can with them. You try to, you include them in like all aspects of your life. And you treat them like they're your friends. I mean, we have a whole book club with your mom. And so I think you're already doing it. And I think what you're feeling a little bit is like what I talked about last week, where certain time of like feeling like my family's still a family is slipping away from me, even though I'm doing everything I can. I feel like that's a little bit of what you're feeling where And maybe not all the time, but maybe sometimes it feels like time is fleeting. But you're already doing all that you can. I mean, unless you'd want to go in a way backwards where like live with them full time again. And then you literally would be with them all the time. My relationship is so much better with them now that I don't live with them. Yeah. I just think like after a certain point, um, I want it to be my own person. And you can't when you live with your parents. You're constantly mm-hmm. going to be reverted back to a child. Or at least I was. And when I was there, like, I would find myself just, like, being mean to my mom for no reason. Or, like, ignoring my dad just because, like, <laughs> I could. And now when I see them, I feel like our interactions are just so much so much better because I don't have that, like, I'm a kid and, like, I'm always going to be their kid, but I'm not in their house have to follow the rules and not that they had a lot they Mm -hmm. never did but i don't know it's just different (laughs) (laughs) yeah i guess that's like my biggest fear and why i was crying like a little bitch just now at 1 24 in the morning it's p.m yeah (laughs) (laughs) sorry it's my morning my god it's almost two it's almost two but yeah that's like when i do get sad that that is something that i think about a lot is Eventually, I'm going to look at my parents and they're still going to be here, but I'm not going to be able to really reach them. Like, they're not going to be who they are now. And I see that in my grandparents right now. And my grandfather and my grandmother, she has dementia. They are not fully the people that they were a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And... I, I feel like it happened, started like longer before that. And it was like a slow progression to where they are now. But, and I know that my, my dad is struggling with that 
because I think there are things that he wanted to like heal his inner child with and he can never get that from his parents again because they're too sick mm-hmm. to to understand even if he told them and one of their other children um i think did try to like get some clarity out of their mother and just airing all the grievances in all the issues that they had with them as a child. And it was too late. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful that I don't have to do that. Like I, I'm at a place with my parents where I can tell them like things that I'm like, when you said this when I was little and they can like face me and be like, holy shit, I'm sorry for saying that. Um, and then like we can joke around about it, but like my, my dad is never going to get that with his parents. My mom already lost both of hers. She's never going to be able to have that experience with them. Mm-hmm. And so at some point, I don't know, at some point, like, I don't know when they're going to get their clarity or their, sometimes I think you just need to get it off your chest and have someone understand and be like, I hear you. And that's it. Or at least that's for me mm-hmm. in everything. I'm like, do you understand? They're like, I hear you. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I just need you to understand my side. So, yeah, I'm done crying now. <laughs> <laughs> um, would you like to add anything? <laughs> uh, I never, I never knew that you felt like that. Like, I always knew you and we said this, I think, in our first podcast, that you hold a lot of the responsibility in between, like, your siblings, like, that you hold it the most. And so I've always, like, known, at least in those aspects, and and even sometimes when we're hanging out, and you'll have, like, your siblings call you or your dad and say, is is this what we're going to do? Like, what what do you want to do? What is your decision, Jasmine, to, like, do? And then everybody's going to follow your lead because that's literally why they've called you for. (laughs) And I, I completely get the aspect of like taking care of your parents because I definitely know I'm going to, because I know my brother is not going to have the patience, but I also know he's the only boy. So in our family's eyes, his job is to continue the family name if he wants to, if that's, you know, if he finds someone. And my sister's the youngest. My sister is supposed to be like the best one out of all of us who's supposed to give a good reputation to the family. So I'm the oldest and I'm supposed to take care of them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, it does worry me, but even sitting here and and even sometimes when I sit alone and I like think about it, I, I feel everything, but it's so watered down mm. that the way like you got emotional about it, I'm like, I'm like not on the brink of it because again, like I don't let myself. Yeah. Go there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
And it's like, I could try. And yeah, there are things that do, that will sometimes like get me through. But the things that will like do it, and it could be very selfish, is when I sit and think about after everything like my parents have done. And I'm still, I'm still going to be happy to take care of them because I would rather do that than let anyone and like strangers or family. And I, my biggest motivator is I don't want my siblings to go through that. I, what I'm more concerned about protecting my siblings relationship with my parents and keeping it good and them have the best memories of them than what mine looks like with my parents. And having to take care of them when they get older or taking the brunt of everything they've been doing for the past few years, I've not easily done it, but I've gladly done it because I don't, I don't want my siblings to ever have to like sit like this and have to digest everything that my parents did because they just didn't have the tools themselves to like get through it with each other in their own marriage. Mm-hmm. And Sometimes to sit there and think like after everything my parents have done, I'll I'll take care of them and I'll never get that validation of I'm sorry for everything, but you're still here and you're taking care of us is something I'm just going to have to let go of and accept that I'm never going to get it. And would you ever ask for it? No, because I have. And I've instead been told. Why do you keep bringing up the past? But yet they're living in the past. And, and yet, and hurt that they've given each other. And yet sometimes they, like my dad will sometimes try and argue with me about, well, you still changed your major in school and you never told me. What? And like, why are you bringing up the past? And also this, that wasn't like a huge. So it's like, even in that sense of it, I'm never validated of, well, you can't bring up the past. I mean, you should be over it by now. Okay. Why can you bring it up? Yeah. They're still doing the, because I'm your parent thing. They're apparently for them. It's more of like, well, you didn't have respect for me back then to not bring these decisions if, that you made for yourself and your life to me. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand that the reason why you didn't bring it was because of the way that they treated you yeah. prior. And so, so yeah, so it's, it's really more of, I'm just going to have to live and accept that I'll never get it and instead just work on continuing like the good relationships. And instead when like really difficult hardships and stuff like that come, I'll like, I'll like be like this, like just very stoic about it. And, um, like I said, I know things will affect me. Like, if anything were to ever happen to my siblings, I would not be the same. And I don't think anybody No. And and I and I would not be able to It would kind of be of like the fact that I can still have emotions about things, it would be like, oh that's like that would be completely gone. And and so I just don't, I don't know if that will ever change or how the dynamic with my parents will be because my parents have also tried their hardest to not try and be a burden on us. And they've said, you know, in our older age, like just 
just kind of like leave us, leave us be or like leave us alone and stuff. And it's like, can't really do that. Yeah. So it's like, I know they'll, they'll, they like try and be selfless with that, but that's just, that wouldn't be something that's like their fault. It's just the nature of like, someone does have to be there. Mm-hmm. It just is what it is. Yeah. I mean, if they save the money for them to go to a home, then maybe all you have to do is deal with the paperwork and visiting them. But unless they like some, there are some people who are like, I know that being older means somebody is going to need to take care of me. And then they set up how they're going to be taken care of without burdening their children. And that's just not the case in our type of family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not saying like my parents would never try and like set up the time, but like that's not the expectation and I wouldn't want it to be. I think when it's your last days, you want to be with family and you want to be with people who love you. And I think it helps. I think it helps maintain you as a person and being around things that are familiar to you. Like my grandparents, I would not want them to be anywhere else but the place that they love. Mm-hmm. Whether that's in Northern California or here in their Southern California home, I could not imagine them being anywhere else. That's just the place that that's given them joy. And if they don't have very many years left, why take that from them? Yeah. Why take away the space that has given them joy? And same thing with my parents. I would want them to be, I know that being with their family and being with, probably living with me would bring them more joy than not. And I know just from the history of how they had to deal with their family, how much pain comes with dealing with sick and old people. So I'm just kind of like prepping myself for that. (laughs) (laughs) And I've never resented my parents in any way. I think my parents did a very good job of raising me and giving me the confidence of being my own person and seeing me for me, but I do know that I will resent them when they're older by accident, not by choice. I think it's just something that you do and you don't mean to because you're, you're like, there's, they can't help it. Mm -hmm. They can't help the position that they're in. Even if it's not somebody's fault, you can still be angry at them. (laughs) And I'm like, that's going to be my future. (laughs) So yeah, maybe I just, I don't know. It's just something that's leading up to whatever. But I don't want to think about that no more. It's been one hour and 51 minutes. I think we need to focus a little bit more on how we can not wait for the future, which is the topic of today's (laughs) (laughs) podcast, which we had not really... Like, we talked about it, I feel like, but it kept leading into family trauma. (laughs) Which just means, like, how am I not going to wait for my future? And... It's so hard to think. I Yeah. I, that's one thing where, like, I can't not do that because I think so much about the future. And I, that's the thing. It's like, I don't, I don't want to still wait for it. I just want my present to, like, become that. And because it, it hasn't yet, and it's obviously taking time. I just find myself constantly thinking about it, thinking about finally being in our own place and thinking about creating our own 
uh, holiday traditions and thinking about if we do have kids and how that life is going to pan out. And, and I, that's takes up the majority of my present is just thinking about getting to that because my present isn't bad in any way. I think it's more of, it's been very repetitive and I need it to change. And like you said, the house, it's tense when two certain people are there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And it's hard to live in a, I've been in a house that felt like that before. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you the relief I felt when I was no longer in it. Yeah. And, and it's like, sometimes my parents will say, well, what if we both leave? My dad's like, what if I move out and then your mom leave? And I'm like, that might work too. (laughs) Yeah. But I honestly, it's a hundred percent like that house, even though it's housed all of us and it holds all of our memories, that house is infinitely my parents. Mm -hmm. So that, that would definitely be something where like, if my dad presents, okay, well, you know, I'll leave or like, we'll both leave. It's like, no, this, this will always be your house, your home, because he also literally built it. So everything, every wall there knows that my dad's literal sweat and blood and like went into that. So it's, it's like a huge, it's a part of him very much. So I'm like, no, that, that house will always be my parents. So it's like, if they ever try and seriously say, okay, we'll just leave. I, I would never accept that. I would say, if you guys want to leave, sell it. It's like, we, we will never accept taking this from you because that's where it comes in of like, my parents did give us a lot and did try their best and did do it. So we're not going to take things away from them that they helped provide for us. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you mean by like, you're not unhappy in the present, but you can't wait for the future mm-hmm. to arrive. And it, when you have that feeling, it sometimes it's like, a drowning. It, it, it. You, it you, feels like it's going on forever. Mm-hmm. Even though time is flying by, it's like, this, I've been in this state for too long, despite the things that I've done to try and get out of it. Yeah. I guess what are things that we can do to, even when our future is taking too long to get here, that can help us be in the present. <laughs> and I feel like taking little vacations help. I always feel like I come back a little bit fresher and with a better perspective on the life that I'm living in. Um, I feel like... I don't know, taking the time to actually look around and at the good things that are, are like being gratitude, practicing gratitude helps. But at the same time, I feel so corny doing it. I'm like, I yeah. am thankful for, <laughs> for my house. I am thankful for, I mean, I'm, I never feel corny when I'm like, I'm thankful for my cat because he's so cute. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel a little corny doing it. And so maybe I need to have a little less self <laughs> embarrassment when it comes to 
doing things. I just sometimes I feel like a cliche mm-hmm. <laughs> doing it. Yeah. But like sometimes I feel the things I'm grateful for are cliches where it's like if I say, well, I'm grateful for um my room or my car. It's like cliches of like, well, yeah, why wouldn't you be? But yeah. not everyone does. So that's why I'm grateful for it. Yeah. I mean, it. the happiest people are like, yeah, it truly is the little things that make you happy. So, yeah, I guess focusing more on that. But truthfully, I don't I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of tips that I practice to be present beside like instead of looking at the future. I one problem because I don't I don't practice it enough. I don't do that. But I think just thinking about the future is something I'm I it's it would be very hard for me to not think about or like give up and even something as like like vacations like when they're happening in the moment yeah they do help a lot but even planning for them for the future that is that still takes up time of your present yeah i just obviously there needs to be a happy medium because unfortunately i don't live in a society that will allow me to only fully live in the present Mm -hmm. because if i did I just would not have the things that I need to to survive. I would not have money. I would not have a home. I would not have all the things that I worked for my future to to get. So there does need to be a happy medium. But I also know that like the life that I'm living is the life that I'm living. This moment is my life. And I can't keep hoping for a different future unless I work for a different future but -hmm. at the same time like I need to I need to experience too and I feel like the majority of my life is either dwelling in the past or planning for the future in fact most of my life is planning for the future and I think it's helped get me to where I am but at what point am I just going to sit back and enjoy it when I'm dead (laughs) yeah and it makes me sad like My mom said to me, she was like, when she didn't want me to get a job right away after graduating high school, because she was like, once you start working, you're going to work for the rest of your life. (laughs) Yeah. And she's not wrong. I am going to work for the rest of my life. It's just a sad reality. And she's like, why are you in such a, because I remember I was so adamant like I want to get a job I want to make my own money and she was like I'll help pay for your stuff as needed because once you start working you're never ever gonna stop and I fucking wish I had taken her up on that a little bit longer and yeah it's just it's such a sad reality to know that the retirement age keeps getting pushed up and up and up and people who retire later die sooner yeah. Than people who retire earlier. And I just don't know if that's ever going to be a reality for me to ever be able to retire, which makes me angry. And then I think about that. And then it, you know, becomes a new different cycle about just, yeah. you know, fearing or planning for the future. What is my future going to look like? But I think I need to focus a little bit more on a weekly basis. You know, I still need to have those planning time, the planning time. So that, you know, I, my future looks okay. <laughs> but I, I do think I need to enjoy 
a little more. And something that's helped is actually using the amenities that come with my house. Um, so like I, I used to say, I thought I was working for the weekend when I got a weekday job and I wouldn't do anything during the weekdays because I was too tired. But now I've been actually doing things for myself on the weekdays that I normally would reserve just for weekends. Mm-hmm. Like going swimming in our pool. I was like, I'm getting home in time where it's still sunny out. I can go swimming or I can go to the jacuzzi or I can, you know, take the time to use the things that are here and around me. Whereas before I was like, I'm just going to rot in bed and I would rot in bed and also plan for my future at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> but now I don't, I, so that's helped a little bit. It's just like, what what can I do little things during the week that will help me enjoy what I work so hard for? So yeah, I think just like finding things like that. Um, yeah, I agree because, and I still sometimes am in the mentality of can't do anything during the week because I go to work. I have to, you know, make sure I sleep at a certain time so I could wake up at a certain time. So I would feel like my days would be so limited, even though I would get home at a decent time and be like, okay, I'm going to do everything on the weekend. And then the weekend would be so rushed and they would just fly by because I was trying to fit everything into it. Mm-hmm. But little by little, I've also, like, sometimes I'll randomly go to dinner with a friend or I'll go to dinner with Mario or I'll go over to my in-law's house and we'll just literally hang out and talk. Or I will actually, I'll, like, go to Barnes & Noble or something where before and I mean I don't do it often like I'll still do it now but I come home and and literally do nothing because I'm like well I have work tomorrow but and I think like it's good to do nothing sometimes Mm -hmm. and I love doing nothing it's one of my favorite activities but I do think that a lot of my fear of time passing by is because I'm doing nothing Mm -hmm. and so I just need to find that balance of like doing nothing because it's resting and actually yeah. resting and doing nothing because like I have too much anxiety of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Cause some, I get like paralyzing anxiety where I'm like, I can't, I can't do anything because there's too much to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm not going to do any of it. Yeah. So yeah, I'm just working on, I, I've started, I make lists now where I'll put it in my um, phone app and I'll make a list of something to do. And I've texted you before and I'll be like, pick a number. Yeah. And then you'll pick a number and I'll be like, oh, it's take a walk and <laughs> do this. And so like having, having a list of things that I know I need to do or want to do and having somebody choose it for me has helped me a little bit. Um, so I'll make a list and it'll be like, clean the kitchen and, um, read a book for 30 minutes or like, yeah, uh, go for a walk and, um, tidy up your room. Or, and then one of them will literally be lay in bed and do nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, then I'll see, like, pick a number one through five, and then that will be my future. So then I don't feel, I feel like I can fully do whatever I was going to do because mm-hmm. somebody else, even though I chose all the things, yeah. chose it for me. Yeah. So that's helped a little bit. But it's, like, just little things to, like, trick my brain into actually getting what I need to get done done so that when I do want to rest... I can fully rest mm-hmm. without worrying about what needs to happen. Yeah. I do remember those lists. You 
I remember I picked a number and you responded, aw. And I said, why? And, and you gave me the other options. And I, I said, okay, I'll do option three. And it was like what you actually wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. So that has helped. And it's kind of fun. It's like a fake little game. I think mm-hmm. video gaming my life yeah. <laughs> helps a little bit. Um, I have this tracker where if you, if I do a certain amount of things that I, I'm supposed to do on a daily basis, mm-hmm. then I get like, it turns it from being red to green. And just that little change, I'm like, oh, I feel like I've accomplished yeah. something. So that helps too. So I guess I am a list person <laughs> to get the things I need to, to get done. Um, yeah. Well, where are we at? We're Because I do need to get my car checked. All right. Well, I think we've talked about not waiting for the future but mostly childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us on this very sleepy morning, afternoon, and I hope you have a good night. <laughs> <laughs> we have been Things I Never Said in Therapy. Bye. Peace out.